Hi everyone, I'm Frank Rock, and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week 37 of the 2017-2018 curling season. This week we discuss the 2018 World Mixed Doubles Championship with bronze medalists at the event, Laura Crocker of Canada, and 2014 Canadian Mixed Doubles Champion Kim Tuck, who was at the Worlds in Sweden doing some commentary work for the World Curling Federation. We are also joined by Emma Miskew of Team Homan and by Brad Gushu of Team Gushu to discuss their respective victories at the season-ending Champions Cup Grand Slam event in Calgary. All that and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. Last week in Ustersen, Sweden, the Swiss team of Michelle Yeji and Sven Michel won the 2018 World Mixed Doubles Curling Championship. It was the seventh time that a Swiss team had won the championship since the World Curling Federation held the first Mixed Doubles Worlds in 2008. The Swiss team won the final 9-6 over Russia. Canada won a medal for the second consecutive season when the team of Laura Crocker and Kirk Myers defeated South Korea 8-3 in the bronze medal game. Laura Crocker joined from the hack to discuss her team's bronze medal win and her experience at the Mixed Doubles Worlds in Sweden. Laura, congrats on winning the bronze medal at the Mixed Doubles World Championship. There is always a bunch of pressure on Canadian teams at a World Curling Championship. How does it feel to be able to come back from Sweden with some hardware? It feels really nice to come home with a medal. Like you said, there is always a little bit of a sense of pressure on you as a Canadian team, but I've always said that pressure is a privilege, and we were so lucky to be able to be there with uh, a maple leaf on our back and really proud that we were able to come home with a medal for our country. Now, bronze medal games can be the toughest game to get up for in any sport. How did you and Kirk go about processing the loss in a semifinal versus the Swiss while also having to prepare for the bronze medal game versus Korea, especially with such a quick turnaround between those two games? Yeah, I actually think the quick turnaround time helped us a little bit. We kind of were forced to get over it. We only had about an hour or so to eat and debrief with our, our coach, Jeff Stoughton, and kind of figure out what we needed to do moving forward. And not that it makes it much easier to lose, but the Swiss, honestly, were playing so great in the playoffs that I'm not sure who was going to beat them. They, they had control of every single game. They made all the shots they needed to, and um, so it's not like we played a, a really bad game against them. They just made everything, and so sometimes that happens, and um, we, you know, we talked about it. We took our second to be a little bit upset, and then you know, we, we really, really wanted that bronze medal. We didn't want to come home empty-handed, so I think that helps motivate us and uh, get us ready for the next one. Now, I want to take you back to the round robin for a moment. I can appreciate that you never want to lose a game at any event, but sometimes a loss late in a round robin can help refocus a team heading into the playoffs. Was that the case for you and Kirk after your loss in the round robin against the Korean team? Yeah, no, absolutely. It actually, like you said, nobody wants to lose a game, and we're still pretty frustrated with ourselves after that one, but um, I think it did help us moving forward for sure. We um, were able to just kind of get that little kick in the pants that we needed. It was maybe a good thing for us to, you know, have someone make that many shots against us and then to have us miss. There honestly wasn't many games where we weren't playing well until that point, and that one we just weren't quite sharp enough, and um, it, it taught us a lot about what we need to do moving into the playoffs, and um, just, yeah, it gave us a bit of a kick in the butt. I think we needed that, and it, it did help us moving forward. 
One of the benefits of playing on the World Curling Tour and in Grand Slams is that you end up playing a lot of the same teams, so you end up knowing the tendencies, the strengths and weaknesses of different players. How much of a challenge was it for you and Kirk to prepare for some of the teams you had to face, considering the fact that you did not know many of the players at the World Mixed Doubles Championship in Sweden? Did you have some folks scouting the opposition for you, or did you simply try to adapt to an opponent's style during games? Yeah, kind of a combination of things. Jeff Stoughton, our coach who was there, he's been around the mixed double scene for a while, so he had seen some of the teams that we've played against or some of the players. He hadn't seen all of them, so he kind of had a bit of an idea of, um, you know, where we might have an edge or what we can do, and we kept an eye on, on the stats moving throughout the event and, and what teams, you know, might be their strengths or their weaknesses based on that. Um, so we tried to use that a little bit to, to our advantage, but, you know, maybe it was a bit of a good thing that we didn't know too much about other teams that just allowed us to really, really focus on ourselves, what our strengths were, what we needed to do to win, and we knew that if, if we were doing all the right things that it didn't really matter who we were playing. So um, we, we tried to figure out what we could, but we just mostly honestly tried to focus on ourselves. Speaking of those other teams, how interesting was it to play against and watch teams from countries such as Brazil and Guyana at the Mixed Doubles Worlds? It was really cool. It was uh, like Guyana was in our pool, and there was a... I knew a lot of Guyanese people growing up from my high school, so just to even see the you know a country like that at a World Championships in curling is, is pretty, was pretty cool. And like you said, against Brazil and stuff like that. And um, I just think mixed doubles is so fantastic for curling because you don't need to have you know four strong men or four strong women who are all willing to put the work in and willing to do what they need to do to kind of play at a higher level. You just need one man and one woman, and it just shows with how many countries competed and the wide variety of countries. And I think that that's really going to help grow curling around the world and like you said three wins for Guyana like they could have won their last round robin game and, and maybe even got themselves into the playoffs like they really competed and um, everyone there everyone had a great time and, and tried their best and it was it was really cool to see a lot of the countries that uh, were there a little bit scary sometimes you don't know what to expect like you said with some countries have never played against a Brazil or Guyana but um, it was a lot of fun. Now a couple of more light-hearted questions before I let you go was a bronze medal enough to earn Kirk an invite to your upcoming wedding? <laughs> I told him actually while we were uh, away in Sweden and I said to him and his girlfriend that they should just book a last minute trip and, and come down but you know if my wedding was a year from now Kirk would have had his invite in the mail for sure we've become a lot closer over these last uh, few weeks and wish he could be there but apparently he tells me he has too much work to do so somebody has to give him a hard time for that and tell him to stop working and get his, his butt on a plane to Mexico and finally Laura have you come to a decision if you will be playing mixed doubles with your husband or the partner with whom you won the Canadian championships next season or is that still a non-going negotiation <laughs> ongoing negotiations are still up in the air for that one we haven't really talked about it we just wanted to get through the world and uh, see you know what we could come up with there and then it'll depend on a few things moving forward certain uh, invites and, and stuff like that that we might get to different events Kirk and I as being uh, you know the the Canadian champions so we'll we'll see I know that I do know that Jeff is very understanding and if um, it comes down to it and Kirk and I kind of decide to play together then I know Kirk will or Jeff will support that and and be okay with that so I guess we'll just have to see but so far uh, no conversations have been had. To further discuss the 2018 World Mixed Doubles Curling Championship, From the Hat caught up with 2014 Canadian Mixed Doubles champ Kim Tuck who was in Sweden doing some broadcasting work for the World Curling Federation. Kim, when I spoke to Laura Crocker following the Mixed uh, Doubles World, she commented that there weren't too many teams that would have defeated the Swiss in the playoffs in Ustersund, Sweden. You were there, and how much of a groove was that Swiss team in the playoffs? 
well, the Swiss were playing really well. Um, we did get to see a couple of their games um, in the round robin. We televised the game against the U.S. Um, I think was their last or second last round robin game, and uh, they were playing really well. Uh, Sven was on fire. Uh, he was making every run back um, with precision, and Michelle's draw numbers were um, in the 90s, which in mixed doubles curling is unbelievable curling. Laura Crocker and Kirk Myers of Canada seemed to play well all week, losing to the tough Korean team in the round robin, then defeating the Koreans in the quarterfinal before losing to the Swiss in the semis. How would you assess Kirk and Laura's performance in Sweden? I think they played very well, and I think they should be very happy of uh, the record that they put down and uh, the games that they played. Um, what impressed me the most, and I commented on uh, during the telecast, was how well their communication worked. Um, they were very good about talking through everything. Uh, they covered all the options that they needed for the shots. Um, they were always on the same page, and uh, I think that was one of their strongest points of why they did so well. Um, I thought they played very well, uh, and uh, there was a couple of teams out there that just played that little bit better um, in the games against them. Otherwise, I think they would have been standing on the podium as well with a gold medal. Now, typically at a world championship in different sports, the teams that lose in the semifinal will get at least half a day or sometimes even more than that before they have to play in the bronze medal game. Crocker and Myers only had a little more than an hour following the semifinal before they had to return to the arena to get ready for the bronze medal game. Obviously, it worked out okay for them, but how difficult is it to rebound that quickly after a disappointing loss? And do you think it impacted the quality of play early in the bronze medal game for both Canada and the Koreans? It can be difficult. Um, I think that in mixed doubles, you're used to having tight times between games. Um, I mean, the format for the world being so many teams, the schedule was quite lax. You had maybe a game or some days where you had two games a day. But in a normal mixed doubles event, you're usually playing multiple games and there isn't a lot of time between games. So I think in terms of their being able to recoup physically, I don't think that would have been an issue. Um, in terms of coming off of that loss, um, that semifinal game is, you know, one of the hardest games to play because you win, you go into the gold medal game. If you lose, you go to the bronze medal game. Um, so sometimes, you know, uh, that can play on it. Um, for Laura and Kirk, I think they're both pretty mentally um, sound, and I think they both had a very good outlook um, on the week and the way they approached that bronze medal game. And I think that even though they were disappointed to not be in the gold medal game, um, it was going to take a really tough team to beat them in a bronze medal game. And, and so, and we saw that they played really well and they came home with a bronze. So I think that they, uh, that for them, it wasn't as much of an issue uh, because I think they were super proud to come home with a bronze medal. Switzerland has now won seven of the 11 world mixed doubles titles since the championship was first contested in 2008. Is there any rhyme or reason for this type of success for that country? Do they spend more time on the discipline of mixed doubles than some of the other traditional curling countries? I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. I mean, that was actually a question I wanted to ask Ben after one of the games was, why are you guys so good at this? <laughs> Just to see if there was some secret that we didn't know about. Um, but I think, like in Canada, they have a very good pool of talented curlers that maybe we don't see as often. Um, they don't maybe play on the men's circuit or in the, the playdowns to go to the men's or women's nationals, and so maybe we don't recognize them as well. Um, but I think that 
Uh, like in Canada, we have that same pool of players, but I mean, we haven't been doing as well at it up to this point because we always took two players off the mixed team and sent them, and they never played mixed doubles before. And now we're actually starting to have people playing it more often, and now we're starting to see the success from that. And I think maybe that's partly in why uh, Switzerland does so well is I think that they do have a lot of players that play the discipline maybe, and, and but they do have a lot of good curlers to draw from, and I think you know that might be part of it. But honestly, I'm not... I'm not sure what the secret is to to their success, but they are definitely one of the most dominant countries in the in the discipline for sure. At open events such as a World Mixed Doubles Championship, there are often really good stories that don't get much media attention because a country might not reach the playoffs, such as the African country of Guyana winning a few games during the round robin at this year's championships in Sweden. Were there some other teams or stories that caught your attention as you were broadcasting games for the World Curling Federation in Oosterson? There's lots of different storylines that filter through an event like that. Um, There's a mother and son team from Australia who played really well and just missed uh, the playoffs. They went four and three. Um, and, you know, could have been in that spot if it, it wasn't for their LSD being a little bit high. Um, there was a father-daughter team, I believe, um, was the Netherlands, and uh, so there's another, you know, neat factor. Uh, lots of couples. Um, the team from Sweden, obviously, are a married couple that have played for a long time. Um, but, yeah, the, the Guyana uh, story is fantastic. Um, Brazil, same kind of thing. You've got two curlers that are uh, been representing the country, and, and there's lots of different things that, you know, kind of pop up through an event like that and I think um, one of the nicest things to see is uh, in the evening back at the hotel uh, the mix of all the countries getting together and a lot of the spectators don't get to see that or you don't get to see that from the television side of it because you're only seeing the games but just the camaraderie between the countries and all the players um, is really nice to see and, and you know makes it for a really great event it's it's definitely nice to see you know Brazil mingling with the Czech Republic and and you know Canada is mingling with uh, uh, Australia and and so it's nice to just see all the different players coming together after the event. What has been the progression at the Mixed Doubles Worlds uh, since you competed at the event in 2014? I guess what I'm asking is how much better are the athletes from some of the emerging curling countries than they were four years ago when you represented Canada at the event? I think that age is getting a little bit lower. I think there's some younger teams that are, are younger athletes, sorry, that are playing it. Um, I think that there's more opportunity to play it in terms of the World Curling Tours Mixed Doubles uh, Tour that's going to be uh, out there that's going to now encompass not only Europe but over here as well. Um, so I think that's helping the sport grow. Um, I think that it's becoming an Olympic sport has really uh, put a lot of countries into wanting to put some money into some athletes and training them for this discipline. Um, and I think it's just a fun discipline like it's a fun thing to do as a curler you know you hear a lot of people say I asked um, Team Japan um, you know those are two athletes that had never played mixed doubles together put them together for the uh, Japanese nationals they win and, and they come and they had a great time this week and they were one of my favorite teams of the whole week just by you know the way the atmosphere they were on the ice and how they interacted with each other and were always smiling but they really enjoyed it and you know their coach kept saying you know it's it's 
they, they're good curlers in their own right, but they're starting to learn the game better. And you could see that as the week went on, and I think that's one of the things, too, why we're seeing um, the um, the sport get better, um, the competition get harder, is because I think the players are really enjoying it and, and not feeling they're having to play it. They're actually wanting to, and I think that makes a big difference in how it goes. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely better, I would say, for sure. You and your husband, Wayne, have been part of the mixed doubles scene longer than most other Canadian curlers. The Worlds in Oosterson marked the end of the first Olympic cycle for mixed doubles. Has the growth in the discipline lived up to what you may have imagined it could become? And what are some of the important next steps you think need to be taken to help the discipline grow even more over the next cycle? I think that it has because you're hearing curling clubs talking about having mixed doubles leagues in the club. And I think if clubs are picking up the league and wanting their members to play it and the members are enjoying it, then that bodes well for the discipline. That means that people are enjoying it. And if the if your club's enjoying it, then they're going to watch it on TV, which is going to bode well for it being um, in the next Olympics and for viewership. And so I think all around, I think, yes, the sport has, has grown to, you know, where we had hoped it would be. Um, I think it does have a little bit yet to go. I know that there's some um, talk that they're going to play around with, maybe some of the rules to try and make it even a little bit more of its own discipline, um, even more so. So I think we'll see, have to see kind of over the next year or two what happens with that and how that impacts the discipline itself. But I like where it's headed. And uh, I know we're certainly looking forward to maybe playing for another couple of seasons anyway um, and then see where it goes. But, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's in good hands right now, and I think the way it's trending is definitely good for, for the discipline itself. And finally, Kim, the reality is that even more than in men's and women's play, pure shot making is the key to mixed doubles. At this point in curling's evolution, most of the world's elite shot makers are playing regularly on the men's and women's tours. How far away are we from the day when elite players will no longer be able to put a team together in the briar patch a couple of weeks before trials or Canadians practice together once and go on to win Olympic gold and or win a bronze at the Worlds against teams from other countries that have been much more committed to the discipline of mixed doubles? Well, I think that we're headed that way, and I think that's what those in charge of this discipline in terms of making the decisions on the rules and how the discipline's going to work, um, how the game's going to flow, is what they're trying to achieve. And that's not to say that they don't want these players playing. I think what they'd like to see is that it's going to be hard to play both. And I think the way they want the game to progress they alluded all the time to they want it to be the beach volleyball of volleyball. And while you can take, um, it's still volleyball, you can't take somebody that plays court volleyball and put them on the beach and expect them to do well. And I think that's what they want to get to, to make it its own thing. Um, and I think that will be not necessarily in um, making the shots harder because the shots are already hard. I think it'll be in how the game flows and how what they do in that side of things to try and separate it a little bit. I think the chance of having two good throwers put them together will always still have a chance um, because, like you said, mixed doubles comes down to making shots. If you're not making shots, you miss one shot, and your opposition makes a shot, all of a sudden you're in a pile of trouble. And I think that those type of players will always have a chance. I'm not sure how far down the road we are to where they can walk into a world championship like this and 
um, not hit the podium. Um, I know, you know, you've got Korea who specifically, those two players only do mixed doubles. They don't do anything else. Um, and I think some of the other countries will start to flow that way. Um, but I think everybody was kind of waiting to see how things would go after the Olympics, how much the sport would be loved um, as far as best discipline, and whether it's going to be worth sending two players and just training them specifically for that. So I think maybe over the next quadrennial, you'll start to see that more countries are, you know, going to be having teams focus, like players focusing on it. I don't know in Canada if it's always if it's ever going to get that way, and I think it's just because of the way our funding works and our our sport works in our country that we won't ever take two players and they would just be mixed doubles funded athletes. They may probably always still play men's and women's. I don't know if it's ever going to get that way, but I think the people that oversee the discipline would like it eventually to become its own beast, its own thing, and make it harder for those to transfer over. The Mixed Doubles World Championship was not the only world championship being contested in Oosterson, Sweden last week. Both the Men's and Women's World Seniors Championship also took place and both Canadian teams came back with some golden hardware. In the men's event, Wade White and his team from Edmonton defeated the two-time defending champions from Sweden 8-2 in the men's final, while in the women's event, Sherry Anderson and her team from Saskatoon defeated the United States 5-4 to defend the title that Nova Scotia's Colleen Jones won for Canada last year. Sherry Anderson will get to defend her world title as she has already won the Canadian Championships this year, where a spot in next year's Senior Worlds was decided. The Champions Cup, the final event of this season's Pinty's Grand Slam of Curling, took place last week in Calgary. The event would not only bring an end to the 2017-18 curling season, but also an end to the illustrious careers of both Jill Officer and Mark Kennedy. Although neither have used the word retirement as of yet, so there remains an outside chance that we'll see one or both of them again on the World Curling Tour. Many observers believe that Team Oman was already looking ahead to the start of next season after they went winless at the Players' Championship in their first event since the Olympics. However, Team Homan found their groove towards the end of the round robin and in the playoffs at the Champions Cup and won the final against Team Anderson. We caught up with Emma Miskew to discuss her team's victory in Calgary and also to look back on the current season. Emma, how proud were you that your team was able to persevere through some difficult games in the playoffs at the Champions Cup, including wins over two teams, Sinclair and Anderson, that have been among the hottest women's teams in the world over the second half of the season? Uh, yeah, I think that um, it was tough for us in March to recover from the Olympics, and um, we underachieved what we wanted to. So um, it was a little bit hard coming back in Toronto and playing at the players, but when we were there and we weren't sharp, we really didn't, we didn't love how things were going. So we tried to put a little bit more effort into coming to Calgary and playing in the Champions Cup and um, really trying to plug away at what was tough out there we, we weren't at our best but we were trying we weren't giving up and we were really continuously pushing to make our next shot and not worrying about the final outcome of the game and uh, we won a lot of games that we weren't in control of at the half or even later in the game and um, it, it was just nice to to have some gritty wins out there. You raise an interesting point. Your team had been a very good front-running team over the past few seasons, and you didn't have to grind out as many wins as some other teams. How satisfying was it to see your team find a way to come back from a couple of big deficits during the Champions Cup in Calgary? Yeah, it always feels good to come back from behind and win a game, but um, we haven't had to do that many comebacks in one event, um, I don't think ever. So, we were, a lot of teams were playing great, and we were just uh, 
not completely sharp, but our second half of the games were pretty good. So we would put the pressure on and um, got a couple breaks that went our way. And, uh, yeah, it, it felt good. It's, it, to grind out a win that uh, you're not playing your best at, it feels pretty good. And we haven't been there a lot, but uh, it, it was nice to, to know we can do it because it's, it hasn't come up all that often. And it's something that you need to learn how to do. And I think that that's what we're going to need to do. And now your team went almost two months between events after the Olympics. Did you ever consider perhaps going to Europe to play in one of the events over on the European tour during that period to get some reps and game action in prior to the final two slams of the season? Yeah, it came up like earlier in the season and um, it was suggested that we didn't do that. And I'm glad we didn't. We were pretty tired for a few weeks. Um, I was recovering from an illness and um, everyone was, we were sleeping lots and with the jet lag as far across the world as we were dealing with uh, going and traveling again somewhere in a different time zone wouldn't have been ideal for getting over that jet lag and for us to recovery. So we knew we were going to be taking the entire month off. Um, it was good that we had a couple of events still to get up for, but um, obviously we, did, we came out a little flat in the Players' Championship, but realized that if we just like put a, a little bit more into it, we could maybe get some better results, and we obviously had a better Champions Cup. How different was the vibe at the Champions Cup compared to other slams you've played in, considering the fact that several teams in Calgary were playing in their final events together? Um, I think there was. Um, for us, there there wasn't really. We knew we were going to be playing together. Um, but for other teams, most teams, as soon as they were done in the event, there was an emotional hug and uh, farewell of a bunch of years of playing together. And uh, we didn't have that, but watch goodbye to each other on the ice. Uh, there's a bit more emotion in this event than there usually is. And chill when their game was done, like we were still in our last couple shots of our game against Mirrorhead in the semi. Um, it was hard to focus on our game because we played against her for years and um, amazing competitor, amazing friend. And uh, it was it's sad that she will no longer be on the ice with everyone. Um, and same with Mark, amazing talent that um, is taking a break and watching these two and saying goodbye to their team and people who meant so much to them. Um, it was it was an emotional night for sure. And you just completed an Olympic cycle. Your team won a Scotties, a World Championship, five Grand Slams and the Olympic Trials. Now that's more than a career's worth for many teams, yet only one member of your team has reached the age of 30, which is the age when Jennifer Jones and Sandra Schmirler started being really successful, and Colleen Jones's streak of domination started when she was 40. Have you taken the time to appreciate what you've already accomplished as a team in your relatively young careers? Yeah, I think it's hard to remember that we are still young and we have a lot of time left only because we've been playing on the tour for so many years now. Like right out of juniors, we were playing against all these teams and um, really grew our game at that point. So um, we were trying to, like we were reminding each other recently actually that we like, were still young and we're, we still have a lot of time left. And the fact that we were able to do, accomplish all of these things so young is, is great, but we're not done yet. And we really want to keep, pushing our game and trying to be better and figuring out what we need to do to bring the best out of each of us when we're going off the ice and get, or trying to best guarantee we're going to give the best game we can. So not really thinking about the fact like, oh, we're not done yet and we have so much time, but just more how can we be better? And 
that's kind of where we've been focusing a lot of our attention. A week or so ago, Team Holman announced that you would be sticking together for the next cycle. The last cycle was all about qualifying for the Olympics. Now that you've been to the Olympics, does it take some of that big picture pressure off your team? Or might your team take a quote-unquote unfinished business approach to the next cycle? In a way, um, it motivated us that we didn't win. Um, just looking forward and seeing maybe like next time around, we would know how to do this a little bit better and uh, know how we can manage the situation a little bit better. But if we were to think that way for four years, that would be an exhausting four years of thinking, oh, we have unfinished business. I don't think it really changes a whole lot. I think that we had an amazing experience going over there. We learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about our teammates. But really, we, we want to go back on tour and we want to focus on winning each game that we're playing in, focus on winning a couple events here and there. We don't we don't want to focus too much on the big picture of four years when we're just starting the first year. Um, it's just a lot. And those four years, that whole time, it can be very, very tiring knowing that every point matters. So we're, we're just focusing on um, one event at a time right now just to get our legs back a little bit. It was a draining, emotional, amazing year. And um, we're really looking forward to continuing. But it, it's about the small picture first. And finally, Emma, you follow curling closely. Of all the new teams, the men's and women's that have been put together to start the next cycle, which ones do you find the most intriguing? Well, I think like everyone's saying, uh, Anderson's team is pretty interesting, mostly because it's all skips that joined up. But it's, uh, we're, it's, we're interested to see what's going to happen uh, with their team and how they're going to mesh with uh, front-end players having a sweep. And yeah, it, it'll be interesting for sure. That's the one team where everyone's kind of trying a new position except for one person so we'll see what happens in the men's event at the champions cup team gushu won the one career grand slam title that had previously eluded them with an eight to two win over team howard of ontario we caught up with brad gushu to discuss his team's win in calgary and to look back on what has been a long yet successful season for team gushu brad let's start with the final at the champions cup against team howard the game was tied 2-2 through five ends was the key for your team remaining patient and understanding that at some point you'd get an opportunity for a multiple score which is what happened when you scored three in the sixth yeah we we felt like we were in control of the game um you know in the second end it looked like we might score two or three and glenn made a a great run back and stick and i missed mine and, and we gave up a steal but really played a a very good end. And then we turned around the next end to look like, again, we might score uh, a two or three, and Glenn made a nice freeze to get out of that. And we had a conversation after the second end where it was just, you know what, we, let's keep applying the pressure, and, and eventually, you know, we're going to get a mistake or, or get a break. And, and certainly that happened in the sixth end when, uh, you know, his rock looked like it might have picked a little bit or he got a little tight uh, as well. And, and uh yeah, it paid off. That three three ender and six definitely blew the game open. We felt pretty comfortable after we got that. You've been playing against Glenna Howard for a bunch of years now. How impressed were you that at the age of 55 and at the end of a long season, he was still able to qualify for a Grand Slam final? And do you see yourself playing in slams and making a final at the age of 55? Uh, you know what? It was it was impressive. I've, I've yeah, I've played Glenn for a long, long time, and and you know he's one of the greats of the game, and and uh, I think what's really allowed him to to play at such a high level at at you know at his age is he's very technically solid. Um, you know his his delivery will hold up with with age, and uh, you know he's he's probably not as consistent as he was say you know ten years ago. Uh, but certainly he still has the ability to go out there and curl 95% against anybody. And, 
and with his experience, you know you're not going to get a mistake or get a bad call or or a line call. He's he's going to be as good as anybody at that. You know, I was I was certainly impressed with the run they had there this week. You know, to your second part of the question, uh, I do, I don't see myself playing uh, playing that long. Uh, you know, I certainly love the game and and have achieved just about everything I wanted to achieve in the game and. You know, I'm certainly committed for four more years. Uh, beyond that, I, I'm not sure. I know there's there's there are other things that I wanna I wanna do in life and and try. So you know, once I get to in four years, I'll be 42 years old. You know, I might go in another cycle or or I might call it a career at that point. But you know, if if I played to as far as Glenn is now, that'd be another what four cycles. <laughs> so I certainly don't anticipate that. And 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 you know what, I I do think the game is is evolving and changing where it is, you know, going to be younger and younger guys because it's, it is a grind and, and it's a very athletic game and a very thick game. And, and there's certainly an advantage to being a little bit younger and, and uh, you know, the fitness level that goes with, uh, with age as well. It's been a long season for your team with all of the events you've played in, the added stress of playing in two separate Olympic trials, and the fact that as the reigning Canadian and world champs, there are a number of off-ice demands on your time that aren't necessarily part of the typical curling season. How did you guys go about managing that so you still had enough gas in the tank to win an event at the end of the season like the Champions Cup? Yeah, you know what? It was certainly a challenge this year. Uh, it was a long season, right? Right from the get-go when we uh, we played the Everest, which I believe was, you know, the third or fourth week in August, and and having that a- a added pressure of playing in, in two Olympic trials, you know, that's that uh, that takes a, a toll as well. And for us, you know, to play as well as we did at the end of the season, I, I think what we did correct was after the the trials, we really the first trials we shut it down and we didn't throw much until. Uh, you know, well after Christmas. So we had a good two-week break there to kind of recharge for, for the mixed doubles. Uh, and then we played the mixed doubles, and we had to go play the Continental Cup, and we played the Grand Slam. But we had five weeks off uh, between that and the Briar. And, and of that five weeks, I didn't throw for three of them. Uh, just got away from the game, kind of re- refreshed. And I think that allowed me to to be, uh, you know, in good shape and, and allowed our team to be in good shape for, for the Briar. Uh, the challenge after that was, you know, we went Briar and then the Elite Ten, and we had a week off, and then we were in Vegas for two weeks, and then the cha- went directly to the Players Championship and played six out of seven weeks, and that was certainly a grind. And I think, um, you know, it started to show a little bit in Vegas where we weren't quite as sharp as as what we have been, and and in Toronto was kind of the same same way. And uh, after we got back from Toronto, we we all just got away from the game. We didn't we didn't troll for the you know the week and uh, or ten days in between, and probably a little rusty in the first game or two when we got to to Calgary. But certainly, I think mentally we we recharged enough, and and uh, the fact that we hadn't won a Champions Cup, I think, was a little bit extra motivation for us to see if we could tick that one off our list. And uh, you know, our our level and our intensity was certainly a little bit higher than what it was at the Players Championship. In the just-completed Olympic cycle, your current lineup won a world championship, two Briars, and nine Grand Slam titles. I realize that you thought this lineup had a lot of potential when you put it together, but looking back at it now, is there a part of you that's like, damn, we did good? You know what, uh, it's certainly, if you told me four years ago we'd have that amount of success, I'd, I'd, I would have taken it. You know, I uh, think if you compare it to all other teams, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty good. And, and there's probably no other team that played as, as well as we did over the last quadrennial. And, and uh, you know, to have that long run, it's, it's been good. And hopefully we can continue to go because I do think our team still has some room for improvement. And, uh, you know, I, I think our motivation to define that room for improvement is still there. 
so I'm certainly looking forward to the next four years and, and seeing where we can take this team. Brad, on a personal level, you had a terrific season, but will you ever be able to remember 2017-2018 as a season where you won the Briar, won silver at the Worlds, and won three slams? Or, in this day and age where so much emphasis is put on the Olympics, are you more likely to remember this season for one game in Ottawa and another game in Portage that did not go your way? No, I I, I don't view it that way. I'm, I'm sure there's probably some people out there that might. You know, the the curling season is far more than, than the Olympics. Uh, the Olympics is certainly a special event, and, and it's probably it's, it's the event that everybody guns for. But, uh, you know, if you're going to base your season around that one event and, and that one week, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Um, you know, there's going to be eight teams that go there. One is going to get be lucky enough to win. The other seven are going to walk away disappointed. But there's certainly enough other big events throughout the year that, um, you know, if you do well in those, you got to look at it as a, as a success, and and I believe our team has probably better perspective on that than most, because I do believe some teams went in as uh, all or nothing at the trials, and when they didn't win, uh, probably wrote off the rest of the year, and and I think that's a, a huge mistake because I believe there's a lot of honor in, in in winning the Grand Slams and winning the Briar and 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 you know all the other events that come after the trials that I think you're doing your your team a disservice by. Uh, by putting all your focus on that one event. So I think the way our team handled it and, and kind of got away from the game for a few weeks after each one of those trials and forgot about it and kind of recovered, uh, I think was, uh, you know, was very smart. And I think it allowed us to play at a high level. And really the way we played at the Briar was as, as good as we played at last year's Worlds, which is as good as our team has ever played. So uh, I think we did a really good job of, of getting back on track and you know I certainly hope all everybody doesn't think of that and 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 I know for a fact that they don't uh but I also know for a fact that there are some people that uh view it as an all or nothing year and finally Brad you follow curling pretty closely of all the new teams men's and women's that have been put together for the start of the next cycle which ones do you find the most intriguing you know what because she's my my mixed doubles partner I think Val and and Carrie Einerson I think that team's a a little bit intriguing uh you know, it certainly reminds me a little bit of our team when we put it together. We had we had essentially all skips and and some younger guys that uh, had a little bit of success at at, at the skipping, uh, you know, at the in the men's level, and and then they had to evolve into front end players, uh, being Jeff and, and Brett, and they've obviously done that and, and are you know one of the best uh, leads and second in the game, and uh, whether Shannon and and uh, and Brienne, yeah, whether Shannon and Brienne can can do that, I think is. Uh, you know, to be seen, but I think they have the ability to do that. Uh, obviously, they can make shots, and I think they're young enough and fit enough that the sweeping is, is not going to be an issue. So it's just a matter if, if they kind of uh, embrace that role and and, uh, and try to be the best at it. And, and obviously, with Val and uh, Kerry, you see that they've had a lot of success at, a, at the skipping level. So whether they can work together, I think that's kind of an intriguing team. Uh, on the men's side, you know, I think Cal Reed and, and Mike work together is going to be uh, is going to be interesting to watch. I know they're good friends and, and very skilled curlers, uh, but Mike is obviously going to be sweeping now. I think at at the beginning of the year, so that's going to be fun to watch and and how they work together. You know what? The thing with these team changes is sometimes the the teams you think that uh, made a mistake end up working out really well, and then the teams that you think, oh my God, they're they're going to be amazing. Sometimes don't. Uh, it really comes down to how they gel and how they work together, and you, you never know that until you actually see it. So, a year from now, we'll have a better idea how those teams are. But you know, I'm I'm interested to play all the men's teams and see how they they work together and and, and interact. And 
Um, but there's certainly some teams with uh, a lot of skill that are, uh, that are going to be fighting for it over the next four years. And that does it for this episode of the From the Hack podcast. I'd like to thank each of our guests. Join us next week for more news and notes in the world of curling. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.